0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network hello and welcome to the newcastle natter my name is fergus craig and i am joined by paul Doolan. hello and dave watson hello hi dave hi
1: how is are you
0: good? i'm all right yes everyone good all good yeah good everyone everyone okay how, how are
1: your marriages good uh, yeah, I was actually going to say. We have an exclusive. The marriage Hold is on. over. The marriage is over. over yeah, fantastic. Who's going to come to? Who's going to take your place? Paulo <laughs> I Think Paulo Fonseca He's a good attacking husband, which is quite popular these days. But I don't know. I'm trying to bring in someone who can shore up the marriage, but I'm not sure. It's difficult yeah. these days.
0: Gag and press is very fashionable at
1: the <laughs> yeah. moment. All the new, all the new husbands. Well, your modern husband very much likes to press, and I'm not a pressing husband. I'm more like counterpress.
0: Yeah. yeah, you, you, you're sort of like the um, the Nigel Adkins of.
1: <laughs> I mean, that was that was in our wedding, verse. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what were, were
2: you, you going to say? Any exclusives on your marriage? Well, no, but I was going to say that I was going to come down to London on the the 29th of November. But then the company I work for pulled out of letting me have a hotel paid for and I'm paying for it myself. So, sorry, boys. Bango's okay. a, ben- a night out in the Bengal village.
1: Stay at mine if you want. If work will pay you travel.
2: What's a thing?
1: Well, yeah. that's we'll talk nat- about it after nat- the podcast. Yeah, let's to- a <laughs> into exclusive. Hang episode.
2: on, let's
0: work out the logistics here. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, you can't <laughs> stay at mine, Dave. We <laughs> don't have room. Um. So... Uh, we've got a a few things, as usual, as has become customary with the Newcastle Nata, compared with two years of almost nothing to talk about. We've we've got plenty. Um, As it stands, since the last podcast, uh, we've had uh, a draw against Palace and uh, a victory against Chelsea, so we should chat about them a little. And it looks like we might be... A victory
2: against Chelsea?
0: A loss against Chelsea, but in, it was a loss. It was a moral against, victory. Yeah. It was a victory for Chelsea. Did you? I don't. I don't. That's so weird that you didn't understand what I was trying to get at. We've had a victory against Chelsea <laughs> and a victory with Chelsea's. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of poetic with language. <laughs> So we can talk about those two games. Right, both of them are just laughing now because it's falling apart. We can talk about those two games. We can talk about the fact that it looks like imminently we do actually have a new manager coming in and we can uh, talk about uh, what you've got to say on social media. Let's start with the two games. Let's ta- start with what, is, what will ho- hopefully be turned as Graham Jones's era. We've had a year of just let Graham Jones take over. Everything that's good has happened is because of Graham Jones. Um,
2: Paul, any reflections on the Graham Jones era?
1: It felt or feels a lot like the Steve Bruce era in terms of bizarre team selections and players out of position which makes you wonder a little bit how much of the weird selections in the Steve Bruce era were down to Steve Bruce and how many were down to Graham Jones. It's not been a great, I mean, we've deserved to lose both games. I don't know how we got a point against Palace because they battered us. I'm not going to be sad to see the end of the Graham Jones era, but then I don't think any of us expected him to be a great manager because he's previously been a pretty unsuccessful league one manager but his reputation is all about being a very, very good coach.
0: Hmm. It would be unfair I think one... to expect him to suddenly turn things around in any big way, wouldn't it, Dave?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's what I was going to touch on. Like I I don't think Graham Jones had anything to do with the selection while Steve Bruce was the head coach. I think that that would be that would be insane. I think the the choices that he's made um playing a few players out of position, I think, is born out of a, a desire to play in a certain way, that means that he can't select them. Like there was something um, he was asked about why he wasn't playing Fernandez, and he said, "Well, because if you're winning, you, you don't swap out a centre half, and if you're losing, you don't bring on Federico Fernandez. So that's why I didn't have him on the bench. Why? Just so I yeah. understand. Why? Why don't you bring on in?" Well, because Federico Fernandez isn't the kind of um, if, if you're winning a game, you... no, I understand why you wouldn't bring him on as a sub. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you start Fernandez? Or See, th- that's that's something that's that's interesting to me because I I don't know why you would pick why you wouldn't pick Fernandez when he's been so good. It could be something to do with um, the way Graham Jones wants that back foot play and he prefers somebody else I don't know but... five against Chelsea wasn't it
1: and Palace yeah I think the problem as well Sorry, back is line me... but yeah
2: yeah
1: like in terms of our best centre backs Lascelles, Clark and Emil Krath considering <laughs> we've always considered we've got quite good depth in that position it's probably the, the worst combination you could pick based on what we've got I get the logic mm-hmm. of having Emil Krath if we're trying to play a higher line and you need someone with pace at the back but both games have been kind of like the Alamo. So, speed isn't a problem. Mm. So, why Fernandez isn't getting in there? And even Fabian Cher, I kind of think is a tricky one because the less he plays, the more in people's heads he's suddenly a world beating centre back. But I would say on form, I would rather have him than Kieran Clark in.
2: Yeah. I think, I Cher, think I'd the, also say the, that, I was just going to say that. Um, I mean, we'll, we can talk about it a bit, but the, the Chelsea game, I thought for like 65 minutes, I thought we were solid. I thought, yes, we were defensive and, and playing quite deep, but I thought we were quite solid. I think we restricted them quite well, but this is a Thomas Tuchel-coached Chelsea side filled with the high-quality players. Um, so I thought, you know, if, if we could have... Because it, it looked like we were about to make some more attacking substitutions when they scored their first, and then their second came shortly after, and then the, the third was like the cherry on the cake kind of thing. I, I, we were never going to beat Chelsea, so I'm not that bothered. And I don't I think any, we... um, it was. It's it's no surprise that we lost three nil, or did we beat them three nil?
0: I can't remember which
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we won a three nil defeat.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. no surprise that we lost three nil. To Chelsea considering our respective squads and form but uh I think what no one could disagree with and I'm not blaming Graham Jones for this specifically is nothing has changed yeah really it would seem I think
1: both those games Palace game was slightly tight but really we deserve to lose but I don't think you look at the Chelsea and the Spurs games and think there's much improvement between there. Not that you necessarily expect immediate improvement.
0: And we'll talk about who's might be the next manager and, and what we think might happen after the break, but um it's it sort of underlines how it, it's it's a really big job, isn't it? Just in the short term to turn things around and and, and
1: I don't know, know if it is carry. that I big a job. If you okay. look at no. our form at the end of last season. And I think if you play a system that fits our players, it's not that difficult. We had over £100 million worth of players on the bench, so we can't keep moaning about our lack of depth. I
2: think one thing to to consider is that there is still plenty of the season left to play, and we'd need uh, need about 34, 34, 38 points to get around about you know, the the safety marks that we were getting in the last in the previous four seasons. And that's only a one point two points per game return. And even Steve Bruce was getting one point one six, one point one eight. Um so I, I, I think a better manager with this squad plus the January um, additions comfortably get one point two points per game in the in the for the rest of the season. Well, we'll see that. I guess we'll see on that. But
0: that is before we go for a break. That is sort of amazing, isn't it? How, when you think about how we see ourselves as being underinvested in over the years, how much money was on that bench for us
1: against Chelsea? I think compare that to how much money was on the pitch is probably not that much difference. Yeah, (laughs) Craft Mankyo like Fernandes, Matt Richie. But it it underlines... Lonsdorff, Hayden. It underlines not
0: one of the ways in which as a club we've failed so much in the last few years is recruitment, right? We've got got players who have been in that squad for a long time and are clearly past their peak and were in the championship and have just been retained because it's too cheap to come up with a replacement, and then when we have spent money, it's on Joe Hinton's the big one, but then Almiron would be interested to see if the next manager can can make that sign-in work
2: mm-hmm. um, But it's also like the, the younger players that we picked up, like uh, Lewis, and at the time, Lascelles and Darlow were young kids when we signed them We spent like, what was it, £7 million on on each of them and because there's been no investment in the coaching, the training, any of that side of things, they haven't progressed as much as poss- possibly they could have. Because, I mean, there were times when we were talking about J- Jamal LaSalle for the England England side. And now I would argue that he's one of our worst centre-halves because yeah. he's not been developed, because he's had you know pretty average to poor managers, uh, pretty average to poor um, coaching throughout his career
1: here. But I think as well, sometimes players just have a purple patch when they're young and then don't... Oh, sure. It doesn't come on. The problem with us is once the players had that run of form of like five games, we give them a six-year contract (laughs) and don't sign replacements. You can sort of see it with Sean Longstaff, who I hope refines his form, but you kind of think (laughs) he's occupying that squad space now because of half a good season under Rafa.
2: And, and themselves
1: neither of them are doing anything to show that they're worthy of starting in the Premier League. I think you've got to put like a, an asterisk next to the, the the squad
2: and say that for a lot of them, a good manager might get far, far better than, than yeah. what we've seen so far because Sean Longstaff, Al Miron, um, Matty Longstaff I know he's not at the club but all of these players have performed at a far higher standard than they are right now and even players like Joe Linton I'm not saying he definitely will yeah. be but
1: it, there might be There might be a player in there, there Matty Longstaff be, I think he can't he's... even get a game in the SPL
0: hmm. ah, the Joe, Linton, Joe Linton's been one of our better players this season which isn't saying much I think Jamal Lascelles. I think all the signs of the underwhelming, I would say, championship centre back that he is, were there under Rafa as well. I think, and that's not. I'm not mm. blaming Rafa for that. I
1: think I don't mm. think
0: he was a good centre back under Rafa. I, I associated him with being overrated.
1: Well, I think a lot of the mm. reason we've played three centre backs is we've not really had complete enough centre backs to play two.
0: We'll see yeah. what, why don't we why don't we um, have a break now and then we will talk uh, more about our squad and where that squad might go and the uh, new management after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike, e-bikes that are cool AF.
2: Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Good break, guys. Yeah, I found out that, um, that uh, somewhere's got the most pubs per square mile and, and Paul's going to tell us right now, Go. Portsmouth, Portsmouth.
0: There you go. That argument's been settled forever. We're we're debating that during the break. We won't inflict it onto the show any longer. Um, I've got a question from Andy Sheldon here on Twitter. He says, is Emery the right bloke for a relegation battle? I should say at the time of recording, uh, Unai Emery has not been confirmed as manager. He may well not be confirmed as manager but it's a debate we might as well have in the light of other managers we've been linked with as well. Is Emery the right bloke for a relegation battle? And will he be allowed to bring in loads of players in with the potential of playing in the championship next year? Still a
2: real possibility. A couple of good questions there. Dave, you got some thoughts? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things there that a good manager is a good manager and Emery is a good manager. He's sticking in a, a squad like ours. He can get the one, 1.2 points per game that we need to get out of this mess. Um, I think all of the managers that we've been linked with are a certain strata of manager that, yeah, they could come in. We don't need like a relegation, like a survival specialist. A couple of reasons for that is, like I say, we can attract a really good manager, and that will be enough to get us out. And also, if you were to employ someone like Sam Allardyce, you'd have to give him like a year contract and he'd want to bring in players that he knew would be able to, live, to deliver survival, which would be for Sam Allardyce big lumps. And then you'd have to get rid of them because they're not the kind of players that you'd likely want to take you further up the league. The other thing is relegations, that with the amount of money that the Saudis have available to throw at us relegation would put us a year back on the plan and that's it so it's not it's not a massive deal if we go down like it sounds bizarre to say it but it it delays it by a year and that's all
0: i would say that I can see the logic in that i would say it puts the plan back further because yeah i see your point yeah because because in terms of recruitment Yes we've got loads of money but you sign a player now you're asking them even if you guarantee that they're going to survive relegation or they can get out if we don't if we get relegated they've got a release clause or whatever they can get out easily you're saying to you're asking that player to not play in Europe for a season or two at least
2: yeah but we're um, not we, if you if
0: if you throw in a year in the championship there you delaying recruiting top half of the Premier League players potentially.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the only thing I would say to that is that um, the, the kind of players that we would be looking at this season I would assume would be like experienced Premier League players or Premier top Premier like experienced at that level be whatever league they come from. If we were to go down I think it would be like a clear the decks, get young players on the fringes of the top teams who aren't going to be playing in Europe or in the league. They're going to be farmed out on loan somewhere and picking up players from around about from Europe and just getting promoted with essentially cheating football manager. Um, You could still attract players who are comfortably mid-table in the Premier League because you can just throw money at them and say, if we don't go up, you get a release clause, if you don't, and all the rest of it. The, the The point I want to end on is I don't think we're going down, so I don't think it's it's something that we need to worry about
1: Paul, you got any thoughts i sort I kind of agree with Dave in that it just puts everything back a bit, whether it's a year or more than that. I don't think I think us going down to the championship so before would be quite funny and <laughs> yeah. kind of I think it would. It wouldn't delay the project in terms of infrastructure of the club and the youth system, and all of that needs to happen anyway. In a way, you could kind of come into the Premier League with a lot more momentum, but I'm kind of with Dave. I think if we do get Emery, which seems to be is being touted as increasingly likely, then I think we will stay up.
0: I'll make the case... Against Emory, based on very little or at least for shouldn't we be getting in a relegation specialist and there's been a lot of like chat over the idea that managers who manage relegation sides in relegation battles are inherently worse managers, and the the the, the better the manager you get, the better it is and I can see the logic in that but the, the opposing argument to that would be that some managers are used to working with a certain quality of player, yeah, you know, uh, play, uh, uh, managing top players who are able to take on your instructions at a different standard and are able to take on sort of more advanced tactics. And Emery... Uh, From the little that I understand of his time at Arsenal, for example, and obviously I haven't watched a lot of his football in Europe, I know that he is very respected and is really rated. But he has, like, very specific... You know, that in that way that when Klopp arrived at Liverpool, it takes away a while for those sort of tactics to bed in. And not only is that the case...
1: But we've also got, like, we don't have a very good squad, I don't think. I think a few things on that. I don't think Emery has the sort of pure, inflexible footballing philosophy of someone like a Klopp or Guardiola. Right. So it's like it has to be played my way. Right. And if you look at what he's done in Spain, a lot of that has been with mid to lower level failed Premier League players like Nzonzi, that type of level. So I don't think there is. I don't think he'll come into our squad and be like, I don't know how to get my tactical ideas across to these basic players. He's worked with that level of player most of his career. Even at Arsenal, a lot of his work was with players like Willock and the kids that he brought through. Mm. And on the, the thing about whether you need a relegation specialist just means a manager whose level is somewhere between 15th and 17th in the Premier League. I think you don't, yeah, don't- get... I think you don't get top-level managers who can't do it in a relegation battle. The reason that's never happened, you never had a top manager get relegated, that I can think of, is because they're too good for I think it. Well, yeah, but that was a late, late addition. I didn't hear
0: that. Who did you say? Benitez. Benitez. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, think, that it's, was a- I think
1: it's... Brian <laughs> But I think if you're it's overcomplicating the issue and saying there's these certain types of managerial point. Basically it comes down to like, if you're a good manager, you will improve teams like Favre, who were linked with. You wouldn't call him a top manager because just because he was at Dortmund because when he took over, at it Munch and Gladbach, they were in the relegation zone and he took them up. They, a good manager will improve players wherever they are. I don't think you get, if you stuck Conte at Burnley They would do better than Burnley are doing now and they wouldn't get relegated because he's a better manager than Deitch. I think it's it's a much more simple issue.
0: I don't know enough to be able to assess like Emery and his suitability for certain jobs. And like the idea that we're going to from a a manager with the reputation of Steve Bruce to a manager with the reputation of Emery definitely feels like an upgrade and i'm pleased with that yeah um, and yeah i i've got no like i'm not complaining about the idea that we might get Emery. i just uh you know i also i think it is true it's not just that you have a sliding scale of how good a manager is and and they will automatically do a better manager will automatically do better than a worse manager i think there is a certain managers are suitable to more, to
1: different... Perhaps. I think it's not just about the manager, but I think the reason, a lot of the reason for Emery's failure at Arsenal was following Wenger, following a manager who had control of every aspect of the club, so there wasn't that infrastructure there to kind of protect him. It was, Mm -hmm. so you're going into... It's like a, an auteur director getting sacked from a film and you're going in to replace them. Like you suddenly have to have control of absolutely every aspect. I don't think it's the job to judge him on when, really, the, his performance as Arsenal manager is the least relevant to us. His ones in Spain of improving teams seem more relevant.
0: So tell me I about Spain. Also- I associate him with like, doing really well in the Euro- Europa League. That's... For some reason, he seems to have done yeah. have an unbelievable record in that particular competition. But beyond that, can anybody tell me? And I'm not being skeptical here. What is what has he achieved outside of uh, outside of England, and what kind of football is he associated
2: with? Well, I can talk more about his football because um, he is more akin to the easiest comparison is Rafa Benitez. They are both like detail-oriented coaches, real, really diving down into the forensics of of the teams. When you watch, when you watch Benitez when he was in charge of us, he was constantly on the sidelines, patrolling the area, barking instructions, telling them like like making tiny adjustments to the way we were playing to get the best out of a limited squad. And Emery does the same. At the higher standard of, of player than Benitez had here, we, he plays pragmatic. It is it is not the the, the um, gut and glory Fonseca type um, high press, a lot of attacking football, a lot of attacking intent. It's much more controlled, and I think you're going to find it boring if he if he is the manager. I think a lot of the Newcastle fans are going to find it a bit boring because it's more like Benitez that's the way he plays but that way delivers you a great deal of success up to a point and that's why he's been so successful in the in Europa League and getting teams who aren't perhaps you know massive into that area into that level of that that level of competition and then not being able to go much further because once you get to that level that the, then you get then you're mixing it up with Klopp, Guardiola, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and the style that Emery's used to, which is, like I say, predominantly pragmatic, it doesn't get you over the finish line for those well, for those But the situation we're in,
0: we're not looking for the manager who's going to win the Champions League, are we? No, absolutely. So I the think situation this is, is that this we're a in. really good one. That, yeah. I find that an appealing argument. You brought up fans Fonseca there, who and who knows, you know, which sources are credible. But a couple of weeks ago, he was the favourite for the job. How bad is Paolo Fonseca at job interviews? <laughs> is there a Because apparently he was so close to the Spurs job and messed it up in a job interview. Apparently, I think he did definitely talk to decision makers at our club, and it appears that he's messed that up. I've, any theories on what he's doing in job interviews,
1: Palo Fonseca? Do we do we need to sit him down with a recruitment expert? I think yeah, I think he no. needs he needs some careers advice and just to do some practice interviews. Maybe he's just got a really bad CV. Maybe it's like eight pages.
2: When I was thinking when I was still 16, walking around 18. with this like you know the the um, record of achievement that you got in yeah. six form yeah. He's still walking <laughs> like that leather bound one. He's still walking around with that. Well, when I was 16, 17, I went for a job interview for a, a
0: chicken shop in town, not one of the major brands. And, Hipster? Uh, yeah. And uh, it was something <laughs> like, Dick, I think it was Dixie Fried Chicken or something. Yeah. And, uh, and they, and in the interview, they asked, they said, we're a very social group. And we're, even when we're not working, we like to hang out at the chicken shop. Do you...
1: Do you think you'd be up for doing that? <laughs> and I <just> said no. <laughs> no. I wonder if he'd read up. I wonder if he'd read up on the ownership, walked into his interview, necked a pint, and vomited into a fireplace. <laughs> he all in, information. Thinking this'll win them over.
2: <laughs> in, in all seriousness, um the the rumors about the Spurs. There are two conflicting rumours. One was that he was wanting more control of the transfers and Levy wasn't going to give it to him. And the other one was he was demanding a lot more money um, to, to compensate for the fact that he will be taxed so high in England. It could be exactly the same issues
1: at yeah. Newcastle. I think the one thing we need to, to show know you- about all these managers linked with the job is do they have daughters because that's going to, team selection is going to hinge around which players are shaking the manager's daughter.
0: That's a, a long-running joke on this podcast. Um, download previous episodes to see if you can find it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, he was asking there about squad. I mean, what I mean, we've got one here from Jordi Ash. He says, we desperately need a new left-back unless Lewis regains his confidence. Under a proper manager, who would you realistically target to help improve that position? To be fair, I could have asked this question about right back or centre back or centre midfield or striker. So that brings us on to let's assume Emery's coming in, or I mean, surely within the next week, we will make the appointment uh, of someone and they're gonna look at our squad. And sooner or they're going to say, "Please, can I have some new players? Um, who might those players be? Any ideas?"
2: I mean, it's really difficult to to say because you know I don't have Y scout. Uh, I can't I can't search yeah. for players based on certain criteria where they can. What I would say is that from the Premier League. Which players would, would I pick from the Premier League That I think would be a good addition Tarek Lamptey From Brighton I think he's a right back I think he's certainly better than Kraft, Manquillo and all the rest of him. He's young it Absolutely destroyed us last season he, yeah. he, did, he absolutely did Loads of energy, gets up and down Good final ball That's that's the kind of player I haven't heard much about He's it. been injured a lot of it hasn't
1: he I think he's only just coming back, but it,
2: it it's the kind of it's the kind of transfer where if we were to be able to afford to throw enough money at it at Brighton, and it it will force them into making a gamble about a replacement for him, and strengthen us at the same time. Now they could go off and sign another good player. I don't know, but it. It kind of it, it's disruptive in exactly the same way as taking Tarkovsky off Burnley. It weakens them and strengthens us. And yes, they might get a bit of money, but it's a, every, every player's a gamble. So I think
1: there's there's a few things aligning for us in why it's a good time to be us in the transfer market going into this Christmas. It's normally a bad time to be signing players, but there's. Because of the financial state of a lot of clubs in Europe, or like the entire French League, there are good mm-hmm. players available for less. Because of COVID, there's far fewer teams who have the financial muscle they did. There's even teams like Inter who... You could, there's very few Inter players you probably couldn't buy now. Mm. And there's a World Cup coming. So you have players who are on the fringes of their team that can't get in. Players like Aaron Ramsey... Who would be a very easy loan move and whose wages we can afford to cover. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we make a couple of full-time signers like you sort of Tarkovsky, or even is it Sula, who's at mm. Bayern or Dortmund? And then you've got yeah. players like Ramsey available on loan. I think the pool of people who can who are looking for that level of player has got smaller financially. I'm
0: hoping that there's, I would also a, there's just, co- just I'm hoping f- that there's a couple of players who Emery has worked with over time. And yeah. really he well, you, you, has a good relationship with them. And and mm. although they play uh they might you say they play for Valencia, they're currently in the Champions League, they find the idea of going with him and coming to the Premier League appealing, and they're able to to sort of be the messenger for whatever his system is.
1: Yeah. And then well, we can Joe say, Willock is
2: thanks for football. the Emery's. Thanks. Nice. Okay. All
0: right. But yeah, he That's played with Joe Willock. An early application for the title of the podcast there.
1: <laughs> I don't,
0: I'm, I'm, no, I'm refusing it. It's too, it was too blatant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just saying along those lines, he has managed Joe Willock performance sort or of brought him through. So you would think his poor form at the start of the season, it might be a way of getting more out of him. I think Willock's poor form is more down to his lack of fitness so far. His confidence does look shot, But there's,
2: there's players in that just, team
1: where you think a decent manager can get a tune out of them.
2: I would also say that um, more so than with a manager like Fonseca or like if we'd gone off and found like the next big thing from Germany, having a manager like Emery, if it does turn out to be Emery, does make the club more attractive to players... Than than a than a hip's the choice because there's it's less of a gamble it's less of a risk. Emery's a known quantity he delivers success so they know what kind of football he would demand of them they know what kind of support he'd give to them. Does he really? I'm just
0: just being classic skeptic. Is, is he? Are we not overstating his success beyond the Europa, Europa League? I, Why think, is he I of, think he? I think he was associated with delivering success. I he mean, he got he did, the PS... he seventh in La Liga last season, right?
1: Like it's. But I think he got the PSG job. He's worked with that top top level of player. It didn't yeah, go he's great. There, raise... but he's won the French title, which I mean, PSG's PSG with PSG. He's a
0: the French title with PSG.
1: Yeah, but you're sort of saying, apart from all the silverware he won, what's he done? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's it. It's a, it's, it's similar
2: when just before, um, I think it was either just after or just before um, Benitez was announced. I think you asked the question, like, is Benitez actually good? So I don't, I don't begrudge you asking, is Unai Emery any good? Like, really, is he, is he good? I think I he's un- good. I, I think understand. he's
0: better than Steve Bruce. I just think there's, there's often a sort of, like, a, a lauding of... Once our fan base, or just football fans in general... Decide that someone is something; it becomes big. It's like once they decide someone's shit, they're the shit as ever. And once they decide that someone is like is rated, it is, is good. They're like they're right up there with the very best. I mean, I I mean, I kind quite- of
1: agree. I think if we'd got Frank Lampard as manager, a large part of the fan base would probably be doing the mental gymnastics ourselves. Would be going, well, he sort of developed that Chelsea team that's now the best team in Europe and he's going to be a success. You sort of, there's wild optimism regardless of who we get. But in the case of Emery, there's trophies to go with it. It's not I, yes. it's not like he's a hipster manager who's taken like a German second division team into the Bundesliga and it's a roll of the dice. You sort of think. I'm
0: just being I, I think I didn't did quite cyni- cynically today I looked at, a couple of Newcastle fan accounts who were going on about how incredible Emery is. And then I searched their Twitter handle and things that they'd said about Emery in the past. And I could find <laughs> busy, them. Busy day? that of Emery a few years ago <laughs> when he was asked for a manager. It's just, it's how your opinion changes on the basis of like, who you
1: support. Yeah, the only message well, I've heard it, about Emery today from is from what? an Arsenal fan that I know who was just sort of laughing at the fact we were going to get Emery. So I think there's scepticism there but I think Arsenal were a basket case when he was in charge. I'm not sure what exactly, any of We are nothing
0: like a basket
1: case. <laughs> but we didn't have like Mesut Ozil who needs to be I think in a weird way will be more stable because he will have more control. And, sure. and you, you've got
2: to bear months. in mind it, it's it's similar to the um, the the situation that Moyes inherited, where like Wenger had been at Arsenal for fucking years, and the decline was was obvious. And then whoever comes in after Wenger was on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. And even in that, Emery still delivered. And you know, the one thing I wanted to mention is. Across his entire career, he's never had a win percentage lower than forty-six percent. I mean, and that's at various <laughs> okay. levels. Well, that's at I various
0: well levels. Wait, I was like, "What is this? That going to be?" I don't know. that me that, <laughs> well, that, like I don't know—is that impressive or awful?
2: For, yeah, like, for, yeah, for, forty-six percent like is really good. Okay, it is. It, it is exceptional. Put it this way: like um, Steve Bruce's win percentage was like twenty five percent.
1: Well, I guess if he wins forty six percent of the remaining games of this season, if he is in charge, then that would, I would imagine, be enough to see us safe. My yeah. only slight
0: worry—he's not managing it, PSG, Valencia, or yeah. Arsenal this time. It
1: My only yeah. slight worry is the kind of what we've seen with this ownership, both in terms of the build up to the takeover and getting rid of Bruce, is that news sometimes seems to be leaked from inside there before it's actually concrete. There seems to be a bit of optimism coming from the inside sometimes. So although it's being briefed that it's a done deal, and I hope it is, and it hopefully they've learned their lesson, I wouldn't be hugely surprised if Emery turns us down and it is just being leaked from inside the club that they think he's going to sign.
0: It looks like, I don't know what, It looks like there's a problem that will hopefully be ironed out over time. But at the moment, you've got a situation where there's three different voices, right? There's the Staveleys, there's the Rubens, and there's the Saudis. And they're all sort of, they haven't quite worked out who makes the decisions yet. Or, yeah, well I, or, think, I think they all think they make the
1: decisions, yet. but the Saudis actually sign off the decisions. So it's nothing can be done quickly.
2: I think I think one thing that I've seen quite a lot of is is uh, from from the Newcastle fans is, is a clamor for a, qu- a decision to be made quickly and I understand that. But I think there's also a benefit to just taking a little time to make the right decision. And I know that you're not criticising for that. I think, I think the, 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 the thing that you were talking about, where you've got like conflicting releases and, and press releases or, or leaks to the press or something, I think you're right. It's three different people or at least two different parties briefing different topics. But I do think that
0: situation caused a delay in sacking Steve Bruce, right? Yeah. I think most of us
2: think Steve Bruce should have been sacked quicker. Yeah. I think everybody did. I think I think the delay came because um, they hadn't had a face to face with the non-exec chairman, and I think it was, I think that you know that accelerated it when he came over for the um, for the Spurs game. I think that accelerated a lot of things. But they need to have that line of. Com- I think I said in the previous pod. They need to have that line of uh, communication open, and if it's if it's via Stavely to. Um, is it Al- Al-Ramayan? I'm probably butchering it. But the the non-exec chairman, if it's that, that needs to be working a lot faster. And if it ends up being like a director of football or a technical director, it's got to be working quicker because they've got to make quick decisions.
0: Well, speaking of butchering, um, Thomas Burkhan says... <laughs>
2: well, um, you're going to mention the Saudis.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thomas Burkhan says, I'm a left-wing, ecologically-minded vegan who fears global warming. avoids taking the car in favour of trains and almost never flies. So the new owners stand for everything I'm against. It will be interesting to see how much I can put all of that out of my mind in the future. Now, we've sort of covered this extensively in a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago, if you want to go back and listen to that. But um, I did think it was worth talking about something that really annoyed me this week, which was the Athletic put out a story about um, uh, a football fan who supported Chelsea, had been at a Chelsea game and has subsequently been imprisoned in Saudi Arabia as a dissident. And um, I'm not qualified to go deeply into the politics on that. But a lot, there was what I found a disconcerting amount of pushback on that from a certain section of the Newcastle fan base who just who took offence that we were somehow being associated, Newcastle United was being associated with this bad things that Saudi Arabia did. And I just, my, my overwhelming thing is, yeah, take it. Like, continue supporting Newcastle. Mm, absolutely i have i have decided to do the same and maybe for you you have no moral quandary on that and that is a legitimate position um, but like it's gonna keep happening and you just have to take it and don't slam journalists for doing journalism and yeah. it like, to- really fucking angered
1: me i wish I well i've even seen it, but... it, like true faith who are a very good fanzine, but any time there's a story now about Qatar or any kind, there was like a golf investment thing into a Greg Norman cut from the Saudis. Every time that happens, they're tweeting that news story to at Miguel Delaney and other journalists who've been critical of the Saudis. It's like, they are critical of all the things that happen, but even if they're not, they're not going after Newcastle fans because of it. Their, their point isn't any less legitimate. So just fucking grow up.
0: I think otherwise the, the it's thing thing otherwise that you can... go down a spiral of like
1: no one is ever allowed to
0: talk about any issue anywhere in the world ever until they've talked about every single one for an equal yeah. amount of time. It's, it's, you can throw out a hypocrisy accusation all day long forever and never actually talk about any issues. Like if you don't want to talk about those issues, fine. It's not your responsibility as a, being a football fan doesn't mean you have to spend half your time thinking about human rights in the Middle East. I understand if you don't have the bandwidth in your life to do that. But, like, don't, it's not something to be angry about other people talking about that. And it's not an insult to you. It's only an insult to you if you fucking take it as an insult or walk around waving the Saudi
2: flag. It's not your. It's, yeah, you can't, yeah, yeah. I think, I think say, the thing think that annoyed me on it go on. I was just going to say that the the thing that annoyed me most about it is that it was evident from the the quote tweets and the replies and the screen grabs nobody fucking read the article. That, that did my absolute head in because the entire piece is about this this poor bloke who isn't, whos not who has been imprisoned as a dissident by the Saudi um, regime for speaking out and and for wanting change and all the rest of it. You read the article, there is zero, zero criticism of Newcastle United or the fans. There is even a couple of paragraphs where the, the guy's brother says, like, I don't blame the Newcastle fans for being excited about this. I'm a football fan. You know, I'm a Chelsea fan, like, blah, blah, blah. He even says, it's not about the Newcastle fans. And you've got Newcastle fans going like, well, where were you when this was happening? It's like, Fuck off, just just calm down. You're not it? the victims in this in this story, you're yeah. not the victims. Well, we can either claim it's got nothing to do with us and let the criticism of the owners pass, or we can defend the owners and become complicit in sports washing. I choose to not defend the fucking murderers and dissident-imprisoning despots. Thanks very much. You're throwing around accusations of hypocrisy all the time.
0: Did all of these people keep quiet about Sports Direct? Did when when people were complaining about Mike Ashley's business practices, were they saying, "Well, that's got nothing to do with us, and it's shaming"? It, you're blaming Newcastle fans, and you're associating Newcastle United Football Club with Mike Ashley's business practices. Uh, did everyone go in and get upset about that?
2: If you, you read think? any, if you read any article in the Financial Times or the Times or the Telegraph or wherever you read your business news, whenever Sports Direct was was a was a story, it was always Sports Direct um, owner, Mike Ashley, who also owns Newcastle United. Every, every article, they made a reference to it. Sure, and Newcastle a fans,
0: shit. because they didn't like what he did to us from a, on the pitch... Mike Ashley got the blame for that. The journalists didn't get the blame for that.
1: But I think and this ties into newest... what we've talked about before. Like With the Spurs game, we talked about a lot of fans wanting their special day and everything to be how we imagine it. I think a lot of fans want their special takeover. We don't want the feel of it being tainted, but that's that's not how the world works. You can't just pretend the new owners are great. You can acknowledge... You can ignore the fact. That you can admit that's not a priority for me, and I live a conflicted life. But you can't sh- pretend there's a witch hunt against these people who that's are otherwise.
0: Make you make make your own choices, but don't get like upset when people mention things that, that you don't also like. Hearing. They, they were like calling it like gutter journalism and terrible journalism. Like no, it's just journalism. That's yeah. what it
1: is. When you look at the people at the minute who criticise journalists, you've got your sort of Trumps. So anyone who has a blanket disagreement with journalists is usually in the wrong and in some heavy form of denial.
2: Yeah, I mean M- M- Miguel Delaney. There, there are there are parts of his um, past where his current position appears hypocritical. Um. Whether that's because he's changed his mind or whether he is hypocritical, it's by the by, what he's writing about the Saudis is important. What the the the, the piece in the, the athletic is about is important. And that it mentions Newcastle United is is kind of it's kind of to be expected. The Saudis bought our club to sportswash their regime and diversify their portfolio. Part of sports washing is the fact that there's now a spotlight on them. And we're, for all they're going to bask in any reflected glory from us, we're going to be like covered in the reflected shadow from them. And we're just going to have to either make peace with the fact that whenever we win something, we're going to hear, well, that's because you were bought by the Saudis. They've got lots of money because, and also they're horrible people. Fucking
0: take it, on chin, take it on the chin, take it on a chin and don't be a fucking crybaby about it, like you're the victim.
1: But I think as um, well, pointing out hypocrisy online is not the smoking gun you think it is. It doesn't make the point that someone's making any less true. And mm. it's usually coming from a hypocritical person who will have said in the past, because they didn't like Ashley, support the team, not the regime. But as soon as an owner comes along who's far worse but wants to invest in the club. It's defend the regime at all costs regardless of the fucking truth of the matter
0: yeah yeah okay uh, so we'll bring it back to the football and um, I'm sure that we'll, things like this will come up every now and again on the Newcastle that and it obviously excises all of us, we get passionate about it, but we do still care about the football. John Tilly says, with the potential to have Emery in before the weekend, how many points do you think we can pick up before the January transfer window opens and the squad tinkering can begin? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put like a number on it and how many points we can pick up, but our next game is against Brighton. And for all the good that Graham Potter is doing, doing, we need to be looking at this as a potential for picking up points. Right,
1: Paul? Yeah, I think so. We've not traditionally got a good record away at Brighton, but I think looking more generally at our games coming up, we've got a hard run at Christmas. But We've got Brighton, Brentford, Arsenal, Norwich, Burnley, Leicester next. There's points to be had in there. I think if we're going to be staying up, we need to be getting at least three wins from that run of six games.
0: That feels like a lot to ask for considering what we've done so far this season.
1: (laughs) I think Burnley and Norwich, uh, both at home, are games we should be winning. Brentford at home, we should be winning. Leicester and Arsenal away, less so. Brighton away, you would say par for that for us. is A point, Kind of like Palace away, you'd say a point is not a bad result there. I don't think that he... Palace.
0: I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep on saying this. If we, if I could sign any player in world football right now, it would be Conor Gallagher. I'm completely in love with Conor Gallagher. I'm obsessed with him. I would so love for him to play for my side. I understand.
2: He's God, I, I, I hope Jacob Murphy's not listening to this. What a way I'm to sorry, find I, out. I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Colin Gallagher's doing it on the pitch. week in, week out. I love the guy. He's, he's just, I don't know. He's the, yeah. that, he, he's, he's the player that I sort of hoped, I
2: do
0: know, Almiron's not a good comparison. But I was going to say, I hoped Almiron might be, but so much, he's just a runner. He's just everywhere. He's just a runner, but yeah. actually does things with the ball. I just... But I think, think as well, footballer. we talked
1: about, this is, again, going ahead on the assumption that we have... Emery as manager going forward Mm. that idea of us being more defensively solid I don't think it will be like initially under Rafa where we were just backs against the wall because we only had Hoselu up front I think Callum Wilson makes such a difference to what's achievable with this side if Wilson stays fit more than St Maximum because I think there's we might get onto this for the next game I think there's an argument for dropping St Maximum but I think if Wilson stays fit between now and Christmas, then I'm very confident we'll stay up.
2: Okay, I so let's also, talk about it again. go on. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just going to very quickly say that in Almirón and Willick, we've got two two players that can m- carry the ball forwards, and that's not something that we had under Benitez until like until he brought in Almirón. So we won't be. I can't imagine we're going to be long ball as we were for much of it.
0: OK, so um, what do we think about the Brighton game? Paul, you just said something inter-
1: interesting. Why make the case for dropping St Maxim? I think we need a team that defends as a team. I th- he feels like a luxury player. I think there's certain games, you're sort of Burnley at home, Norwich at home, I can definitely see the argument for starting St Maximum because he can do something special. But games where we're expected to defend it's just it creates too many gaps it drags too many other players out of position having to cover for him and where you're looking to have a a sort of solid defensive system as a base it just falls apart when he's in the team that's i mean i think that's the reason he basically gets played as a striker cuz you can't rely on him in any other position i don't think that's something that can't necessarily be coached out of him but i think games where we're looking for a point we can't against a better team, we can't really be relying on him I, individually. He's our best player and is yeah. our most entertaining, but I think it's such a compromise relying on him. And he looks knackered already.
2: I was going to say that I, I, I'd agree with with that. And um, I would say that starting a more solid base against a Brighton side that um, has struggled to score, I mean, for all their. They're up in where are they now? They're they're in eighth position. Um they they have they've only scored we've scored as many goals as they have. So I think if we can be defensively more resolute, I think you you start with a more solid team and then you bring on St. Maximin and let him get a tired legs. Give yeah. him a bit of a break, let him get a tired legs, cause absolute carnage. For the final half hour, and we might get ourselves back into the game, or we might take it from a nil-nil to a to a one-nil win. It would be a big. I'm sure it wouldn't be why he'd do it, but it would be a big s- statement
0: if Emery, in his first game in charge, was to drop fan favourite. St. Maxman, I, I, I'd imagine there'd be enough goodwill amongst the fan base that they would be making similar arguments to the arguments that you both made and could see the logic in it.
1: Yeah, but I it don't think be. it's something that he'd do in his first game, though. I think, I think St. Maxman probably will play. But I think it's more, if Jones was still in charge of this game, for instance, you would think... It's an easier move to make in that way because you're basing it on the last few games. I think St. Maximum's our most dangerous player and you're sort of waiting to see what happens with the new manager bounce. So why wouldn't you pick him?
2: I think one thing just very quickly is that if you were to take St. Maximum out of the starting lineup, where's the where's the inspiration coming from? Because we're not a team that consistently creates chances outside of Playing Saint Maximum, so it, it, it that that begs the question. Well, if you're not playing Saint Maximum, well, where's Maximum. the Jacob <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, our biggest, one of the league's biggest chance creators is Matt Ritchie. I don't think he yeah. should be getting in the team on current form because yeah. he's how bad must Jacob uh, not? How bad must Jamal, Jamal Lewis. Lewis be in training if Matt Ritchie's still getting in? Yeah, but really I think, not, I a think
0: prim- not a Premier League player anymore, really. Is he? He's, he's no, it's sort of, a symbol of where we are as a squad. Um, so should we let's make predictions on the game just for the sake of it? Uh, Dave, have you
1: got a score
2: for me? Uh, one one.
1: Okay, Paul, well, I was gonna go one one as well. I'm gonna go a two one loss. Mm. Uh. Why? Because we haven't got Conor Gallagher.
2: Yes. <laughs> I think that every team in the Premier League who doesn't
0: have Conor Gallagher will lose 2-1 this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, I don't know. I just don't... I, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're, we're in terrible form. We're in disarray. We've got... Whoever comes in is not really going to have any time to do anything. And it is a really odd situation for the squad because the incentives are really weird, right? Most of these players know that they're not going to be part of this.
1: I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think you're underestimating the optimism of most people. It's like in America, the amount of people who are against high taxation, even though they have no money because they assume they're going to be rich one day. I think it's the same with a lot of average footballers assume if their club gets bought out, they're going to go to the top with them because they're good enough. I think you have to have that level of confidence as a footballer. There'll be some. There'll be like – I would imagine Emil Kraft's agents starting to look around for where
2: Yeah, Mark Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be they'll, I they'll do, do a I few –
1: but like Jamal, like, Gillespie
2: sticking around as our
0: third goalkeeper when we were in the Champions League, and that was the way that Mark Gillespie oh, grows in fifteen years' time. In that way, Richard Wright was for Man City. Yeah. And but
1: look at say Isaac Hayden, who's not played well this season, but there's been enough there in the past. He he won't be thinking I'm going to get moved on necessarily. He'll be thinking this could unlock me as a player if I have the right people around me.
0: I'm not inside the heads of all these players. I think Isaac Hayden well, well, is, a player, him, is, a, get, is a player who could be making a case in his own head that he could stick around for a little while. But I think a lot of these players have been battered by the last few years and and I have been told that they're a championship squad for a long time and, and know that they are past their best in the case of, for example, Matt Ritchie.
2: Yeah, I think, I, th- I, think well, would, I think there's a the, lot of The players. obvious ones, I think it would be um, Matt Ritchie, Kieran Clark, um, maybe Fernandez. John Joe
0: Shelby. John
2: Joe Shelby, 100% thinks he's going to be like Champions League with Newcastle United in, in a couple of years. No, nah, I think the he e- knows. The ego on that man, he 100%, Dwight Gale thinks he's out the door, even though he's got a 28 year contract.
1: Like, but I think as well, few... they're all players that championship clubs would pay a bit of money for. I don't think it's a disaster. The reason they think that way as well is because they aren't good enough for Premier League teams. It's not because they've joined an. Amb- it's not because we're suddenly an ambitious team. Like they're not really good enough. Not many Premier League teams <laughs> will be looking to buy those players. It will yeah. be championship teams. So that's sort of they've just been given longer contracts above their level in most of those cases.
0: Okay. So, uh, let's wrap up there because, you know, a couple of months ago we were told to start doing short podcasts, but then <laughs> it all started happening and we went back to the long form. Uh, so I imagine this, you know, we're in a new era now where there is always lots to talk about. So, uh, we will try and get another podcast in next week. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Dave Watson. Thanks, Paul and Fergus. Interesting. Save there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you, Paul Doolan and Dave
1: Watson. <laughs> Thanks, Dave and Fergus.
0: Great. And thank you to you, <laughs> the Newcastle Matter listener. And thank you for Steve Bruce for giving us the sound footing for where we are now.